the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I have my, as a guest now, one of the most clear-thinking, knowledgeable people about world events that I know of. George Friedman is founder and president of Geopolitical Futures. It's a private intelligence service that assesses events from a geopolitical perspective. His new 2019 forecast has just been published, available at geopoliticalfutures.com. A link to that is up at dennisprager.com. What I appreciate about Mr. Friedman is his dispassion. With all the interviews of him that I have done, I still don't know his politics. That's quite something, sort of like Johnny Carson in a very different realm. George Friedman, welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you, and I think you can guess my politics. Yes, I can guess, but it doesn't, that's not what persuades you to the conclusions you reach. That's what I mean. Uh, True, but I mean, look, the world is filled with opinions. They don't need mine. (laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) I have the opposite view. The world is filled with opinions, and it does need mine. <laughs> and there we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why I do what I do for a living, and why you do what you do for a living. Exactly. All right. So now we're together. So I have a, all right. The first, and I really, I actually said to my producer, what will George Friedman say? And here is the, this is what I mean by, even if I have a sense of your politics, I still don't know always what you'll answer. So I'm going what do you think of the president's statement of withdrawing 2000 US troops from Syria? In the long run, it's exactly what he has to do. 2000 troops aren't enough to accomplish anything, but they can take casualties. In the way he did it was I think a mistake, and he's backing off from it. When he said he would do it in a week, you can't withdraw 2000 troops scattered over a battlefield in a week. He can't do that. Now he's gone back, or at least Bolton has said he's gone back to it'll take five months and we'll take some planning and so on. So I think with Trump, he frequently says exactly what we should do. Then in the second step, he says to do it in a way that can't be done. Then finally gets back to the right point, which is over the next five months, we'll withdraw. Right, okay. But haven't they even pulled back further and now saying only if Turkey guarantees us not to invade or otherwise uh, persecute the Kurds? Yeah, and uh, the Turks are not going to be able to do that for their own internal politics. The, a lot of the country just hates the Kurds. So we're probably going to be there, but this is what I don't like. I don't like 2,000 troops scattered about. Uh, in a possible crossfire where we don't have enough force there uh, to win. Now, we got in there because of previous administrations. It wasn't Trump, okay? 
But now it falls to Trump to figure out how to be secure in a really bad place where our own interests, well, they're not clear. There are other powers in the region who have bigger interests. Israel is one. Turkey is another. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, now, the Israelis will ante up if we ask them to. The Turks are hostile. The Saudis are going who knows which way. So this is a typical bog. I mean, not enough troops in a place where they can get hit. We don't want to put more troops in. We don't want to pull them out. We keep getting these positions. And I have to say that we got into this position, by the way, that essentially Obama organized the war against Islamic, uh, uh, the Islamic State. It was incoherent. And now Trump is stuck with it. So I'm not meaning to criticize Trump on this. He's got a nasty situation. But he's going to have to deal with it. And it's, you know, he's the president. He's going to get the grief. All right. So l- let me uh, go further here. Do you have knowledge or a sense either of Israel's reaction to this decision? Israel's reaction was appalled. Not because they wanted the troops there but they wanted the United States to be exposed there. Let's be very frank. Israel wants the United States to share the risk. Israel doesn't need the United States. It can handle it itself, but it wants to know the U.S. is there. And Israel is also appalled at the way he did it, just suddenly getting off the phone and announcing it, not even consulting with them. So I don't think Israel needs us there for military reasons. I think they use their political reasons, and that's another thing to consider. Is it fair to say that this has strengthened Russia and Iran? Well, it hasn't weakened them, okay? I mean, Russia and Iran each have some terrific weaknesses of their own. They're not in a position to exploit it too much. What it has really done is, you know, the Trump administration put together an alliance between Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Netanyahu has made a visit to Bahrain. He's probably going to Saudi Arabia. They have changed the entire dynamic of the Middle East. This is not noted by many people, but this is an extraordinary thing that happened, all built around dealing with the Iranians. Now, we have to really watch that coalition and make sure that it doesn't get unstable. And action like this can raise the question, you know, are we all on the same page, guys? And we really want that coalition to work. So on the one hand, he did this brilliant thing. His son-in-law wants to negotiate it. Uh, and it was just extraordinary building this coalition. Now, easy does it, guys. Netanyahu is going to visit Saudi Arabia? Yeah, there's a word about a number of places that he's planning a visit to Riyadh. I, I need to tell you that in uh, I, I can't even think of an analogy of something it, that's to me more dramatic than Nixon going to China. It's to me since uh, I was watching that real closely when Nixon did that, probably on the same order with this. There's already been plenty of indications, meetings going on between the Saudis and the Israelis. Either way, it is a huge reversal of the entire structure of the Middle East. It redefines it in a way that allows the American coalition to deal with the Iranians. It puts 
Turkey in a position where they're going to really have to come forward in exchange for getting the things they want. It deals Russia out of the game. Trump doesn't get any credit for this, by the way. Nobody even notices. But it really was a historical event on the order of... So did Trump do this, or did Iran do this, or both? The presence of Iran did it. When Iran had Iraq, it was in Syria, it was in Yemen, it was in Lebanon. Everybody got frightened. Uh, What happened was a meeting in... Well, wait, wait, forgive me. Every Sunni got frightened. Every Sunni got frightened. Every Jew got frightened. Right. It was... It, was, it is and every a Kurd. very dangerous situation for them. There was a meeting in Amman uh, between the prince in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Netanyahu apparently was there. Uh, it was done very quietly, and an agreement was reached. This is when the Saudis announced they were buying Iron Dome, which is Israel's air defense system, which was extraordinary. So when we look at all these things, uh, Trump has achieved a transformation in the region, certainly on the order of Nixon, okay, Uh, and China. But now comes the hard part, which he has trouble with. The nitty-gritty, tiny little pieces that have to constantly be working. So nothing, you know, what he did in Turkey is not going to blow up the alliance, uh, nevertheless, uh, easy does it, and he doesn't have that hand. He's learning, I hope, but right now, not. How strong is Erdogan's position in Turkey? Uh, if wishes could get rid of a guy, yeah, not needless to say, gotten rid of. He's in a pretty powerful position. Still is. He, he is. still is. Even with the yeah. weak, even with the weakening Turkish currency. Uh, even with that, I mean, there, there are a lot of people who are unhappy. So I want to go back to the Middle East, back to specifically Saudi Arabia. Why did they kill Khashoggi? Well, that is a mystery. And let's begin with two points. Khashoggi was the nephew of a man called Adnan Khashoggi. Adnan Khashoggi was very close to the regime and one of the biggest arms dealers in the world and one of the richest men. He also worked for a man called Turkey Al-Faisal. Turkey was the head of Saudi intelligence. Uh, this was back in the 80s. So this guy does not come out of the liberal wing of Islam. This guy is hardcore Wahhabi. Now, he presents himself, and the Washington Post accepts that he is a liberal Democrat, and maybe he became one. I don't Saudi know. dissident, that's their term. Yeah, well, he's certainly a dissident. He does not like any of the reforms that are being carried out. He comes from the old conservative wing uh, of uh, of the uh, Saudi uh, Saudi uh, Kingdom, and so yeah, he is. But now, again, that was ten years ago. Now he may be a liberal. I don't know. Now we have fifteen people come to the embassy to kill him. Now, I've read up on this, and it doesn't take 15 people to kill someone. Uh, Somebody wanted that noticed. Erdogan jumped on it out of nowhere, as if he deeply cared about the life of Khashoggi, you know, a man who himself has no problem killing what he has to. 
So he's suddenly outraged. So I don't know what this was all about, but I know this much. It had one effect. It turned Saudi Arabia into pariah regime. Very soon after it formed its alliance with Israel, and reshaped the region. And everybody wanted to isolate it, which would have collapsed the alliance, which would have certainly helped the Iranians. And so all I know is, I don't know who this guy was, is, was, uh, I knew what he used to be. Maybe he changed. I have no idea why 15 people showed up in the embassy. I have no idea why Erdogan cares, but I do know that this entire edifice that was constructed almost collapsed under the pressure. It's been stabilized. Everybody's forgotten about it, sort of, and things go on. But it was one of the weirdest things I've seen. You know, uh, I I can't speak for others who interview people, but when I ask questions, I really want to know the answer. Because I, I, (laughs) like you... I have no idea why he was killed. This whole thing is sort of what Churchill described the Kremlin, you know, a riddle wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in an enigma, or anyway, he used those three terms. My my guess is that somebody really wanted to destabilize Saudi Arabia. Somebody, wait, somebody in the alliance, probably from among conservatives in Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to add. From within Saudi Arabia. Oh, I get it. God, is that Orwellian or Machiavellian? I see. Because the thing was, the entire propaganda machine was ready to roll. This guy wasn't dead yet, and they were already... Every aspect of the propaganda machine was rolling. You couldn't miss it, and suddenly the prince uh, was, you know, the, the, the worst guy in the world, having been the best guy in the world for the New York Times. So I have to guess that the only reason that they suddenly wanted him, aside from making sure he doesn't take any money, remember he arrested a bunch of these people and squeezed money out of them uh, before, they didn't like this alignment with Israel one bit, or they were using it as an excuse to get rid of him. But this was an attempt to overthrow the All regime. Right. But, but my original question was, who was Khashoggi? And I just want to, before we move on, do you said he's Wahhabi. I mean, for those who don't know, that is the most uh, Islamist, to use a modern term, strain of Islam. That is the severe women-can't-drive-cars type of Islam in Saudi Arabia. Is that who he was? That's who his uncle was, and that's who he worked for. Turkey Al-Faisal was the head of intelligence. He worked for him. Uh, Adnan Khashoggi was the money man and the arms dealer for the old regime. Now, that's who he was. People change. I can't swear to what he believes now, but I just have this, I have this feeling that Khashoggi really was a way for them to get at the regime and was not important. He was not the key. He right. just had to go and be taken Right, out. but you believe the crown prince did order it? Well, I mean, he's admitting it, uh, or sort of admitting it or something, but I'm not sure it's true, or he may have ordered it because his intelligence apparatus told him that Khashoggi was up to something designed to take him down, 
and then they turn it around. I mean, now we're in a house of mirrors. I, right. I, okay, I, I agree. <laughs> All right, let me move on to the uh, another very far away part of the world from the Middle East, that is the Far East, and to China. And there is a, a story today uh, about uh, a, uh, let's see, let me get the uh, details for you up here. This is, uh, give me one moment. Because uh, China, here we are. This is from the Sun in England. China confronts U.S. with fury as American missile destroyer sails through disputed South China Sea and challenge to Beijing. You know anything about that? It just happened. Well, we do it all the time, and they always confront us with fury. They make very careful not to confront us with ships, aircraft, or anything else. <laughs> Look, they don't have the ability to come up against the U.S. Navy. In addition, you know, if that happened, then the tariffs would become a complete blockade on Chinese trade, and they depend on selling to us. So I was just in Beijing a couple of weeks ago, and I was meeting with a bunch of leaders and talking about, you know, what was going on, and they made it clear two things. They were furious, and they were terrified. So in case of this... Wait, wait, furious at whom and terrified? Wait, 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 forgive me. They've been frightened, terrified, angry, whatever. For 10 years, they did nothing. I don't think in the 11th year they're going to. Wait, so wait, wait. They look. George, they're they're terrified and furious at us? Of course. I see. Okay. Fascinating. Talking first about the Middle East, now about China. China has uh, just announced in pretty severe terms, that Taiwan is, of course, a an inseparable part of China. And is it, I assume it is simply fair to say that were it not for American protection, China would invade Taiwan tomorrow. Well, actually, China doesn't have much of amphibious capability. And invading an island far away, as we learned during World War II, is very hard. You've got to not only land the troops, you've got to supply them. The Taiwanese have a fairly decent air force. It would be difficult for them to do it. What the Chinese are doing now is making, making announcements that appear to make them ferocious in a military sense. What they're doing that for is domestic consumption. Because the situation inside of China was getting much worse uh, prior to uh, the American tariffs. Now, with the tariffs, you have the Chinese financial system staggering. So what you see in Russia, what you see in China and other countries, when you're weak domestically, play a foreign hand. But they're also very careful, because I I pay very little attention to what countries say. I look at what they do. And what the Chinese have done is nothing. But it's useful to make it appear you're ferocious to your own public uh, when you really can't do much to help them economically. Well, on the what they do issue, they are doing something, to the best of my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, and that is cracking down more on whatever free speech and access to speech they had on the Internet than before. Absolutely. I mean, they are cracking down. They are purging people from the party and we never see them again. 
The regime is terrified. It's terrified, as I said when I talked to a lot of them, that this financial crisis is going to destabilize them. And anywhere they see a threat uh, on the Internet, uh, among entrepreneurs, they are going to crack down. Uh, They are feeling the pressure from the United States. They understand how powerful the United States is potentially, and they are trying very hard to calm everybody down in a kind of strange way by letting them know that Beijing is still in charge. So what is your take on his tariffs, on the president's tariffs? Well, what Trump did is he he played to our strongest suit. We're really not good in counterinsurgency. We're very good in economics. One of our strengths is we export only 12% of our GDP, almost half of that to Canada and Mexico. This is compared to Germany, who exports 50% of its GDP, or China, which claims about 25% estimate, which means we have very little vulnerability. We just don't depend on it that much, and China playing around with us is going to be a half percent of our GDP. China really depends on the United States. By putting tariffs on, and Trump has done something else, which is incentivize American companies to do business with alternatives to China, such as Vietnam, such as Thailand or Colombia. I mean, we're reshaping the markets around the Chinese. They have got to get a deal. We don't. And they know that this which is why they're constantly saying we're going to be meeting next month, meeting next month, and then Trump says, well, we didn't have a chance to do it, too bad. Well, maybe another month. He's playing them very nicely. Wow. <laughs> Folks, if I'll just say this, I, mean, I won't even ask Mr. Friedman for his reaction. I don't want to put him on the spot in this regard. Donald Trump's achievements are staggering. Staggering. It is almost an unprecedentedly productive presidency. So we talked about uh, China and uh, the tariffs and uh, about its threats, which thus far are uh, mostly verbal. I I tell you, I just I do have a worry, though, uh, that they can rile up their people with their verbal attacks on America and on Taiwan to such an extent that eventually uh, the tail will wag the dog in China. The people will clamor for action. Is, uh, is Mr. Friedman there? Swim to Taiwan, and you can't fly planes you don't have to Guam. So at a certain point, whatever the feelings are, you have to take a look at the military balance, and that remains heavily tilted to the United States. Uh, even though somehow the papers don't seem to think so. Right. Uh, so uh, I didn't get the very beginning of your answer because of a technical glitch here. So you're not worried about the Chinese people clamoring for some action? Yeah, uh, they may clamor for some action. But uh, it's hard to swim to Taiwan is what I was saying. Okay, fine. Okay, it's fair enough. I, okay, that's the part that I missed. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Okay, so uh, now let's go to our continent, and what are the international ramifications 
of a wall or no wall? Well, I would look at it this way. There are a lot of countries in the world that have fences or walls or something along their borders, okay? This is hardly a radical event. Um, that he wants to put it in has some problems in the United States. In Texas, where I live, the border has always been crossed, and cities like El Paso have grown up half in Mexico, half in the United States. There's no great urgency for a wall here. But the real issue is the demonization of, you know, if I can have an opinion. We believe in <laughs> yes. the rule of law. The rule of law is clear on this. It was signed into law by President Clinton, who didn't enforce it. Bush didn't enforce it. Obama did. We have a law on migration. We have a law on immigration. There's a certain way it's supposed to go. To me, the wall issue is secondary to the more fundamental question on all sides is, if we don't like this law, why doesn't Congress change it? But we do have a law, and the president has to enforce it. And he's being demonized. You're, you're, referring, to, you're referring to what law? Well, the, the immigration law that was passed in the 1990s uh, dictated uh, how illegal immigrants were going to be treated, uh, that they would be stopped, that, you know, legal immigration would be permitted and what the rules would be and so on. So what they're doing is demonizing the president for enforcing that law to block illegal immigration, which is the law of the land. And it, it baffles me. Uh, it baffles me because the idea that the United States internally should not have basic protections against foreign immigrants outside the law is crazy. Now, whether it should be a wall or not, we're going to have a long discussion. Okay. Uh, I, there's a one more issue I want your take on. The media regularly, not just, no, regularly is, is really understating it, constantly refer to the presidents of the new president of Brazil, plus the previous presidents, the current presidents of Poland and Hungary, as far-right authoritarians. How accurate is that? No more authoritarian than the leftists. Uh, look, this is a demonization. The word populism has become a demonization. A populist is anyone who votes for a party that I don't like. What is going on in these countries is a revolt against the mainstream thinking of the last decades and 40 years before then. We've had a world since World War II that believed in multilateral organizations uh, in free trade and things like that. In 2008, the system broke down. It's never quite recovered. And so we're having regimes rise up to disagree with this. They are democratically elected. I spent the past two months in Eastern Europe in Hungary, where we keep hearing about Viktor Orban being uh, an authoritarian. He was elected by an overwhelming vote that created a, a parliament two-thirds pro-Orban. You may not like him, you may want to defeat him, but he is the legitimate president, uh, prime minister. Right, uh, well, what right. What's going on here it, is a delegitimization uh -huh. of democracy. Okay, so that's that's what I'm asking you. So the the press's depiction from the New York Times to, to the BBC, the, these are people who are wrecking independent judiciaries, independent press, alternate voices, 
and human rights in their countries. You're saying that is fake reporting. Well, I would put it this way. When Franklin Roosevelt was elected, a Republican-stacked Supreme Court was there because Republicans had been in charge. So he tried to stack the court. He tried to stuff it with Democrats. He failed. Was he not a liberal Democrat? Are we going to say he was a fascist? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.